0: How are you guys doing tonight? Good? Good. good? good. God is good, isn't he? It was good seeing the young people in here. I mean, you guys are young, but they were younger. And I am older. But it was good. It's good seeing the young people in here worshiping with us and singing about the reckless love of God. And, uh, you know. I start thinking about God's love. That's when I get choked up like Pastor Jeff. So, the love of God means a lot to me. And hopefully, it means a lot to you guys, too. God wants you guys to get closer to His love and closer to Him. He's always calling us, He's kicking down those walls, He's climbing those mountains for us. He wants to be so intimate with us. He truly does. And even in my own personal life, I don't spend enough time with him. You know? That's why I love coming and just worshiping. Man, it's such a good thing. That's when we get to get really intimate with God, isn't it? Amen. This thing's kind of bonging a little bit, isn't it? Is it okay? Good. Uh-oh. I should have never said that. It's probably coming out of the hole on the guitar. That's what I'll do. You'll get feedback a lot of times from that. Well, tonight, I get to end the study in, in Habakkuk. Did you guys call it Habakkuk? Or did you call it Habakkuk? Habakkuk? I call it Habaka, so it'll be Habaka tonight. You can do it either way. I don't think there's any one way or another. But tonight, I'm going to do the table talk, probably almost completely at the end of the, at the message. If we've got that slide, I want to put up the first slide. You know, there was Israel, and then there was Judah, if we can get that slide up there. It was divided, as you guys know. There was the northern tribe, there was the southern tribe. And it's unfortunate. You know why there was division there? Because there was conflict. There was conflict. And I'm going to tell you one thing. As I was preparing this, I was thinking about Satan loves to divide and conquer. He really does. He loves to do that in churches he loves to do that in families and we can't let that happen Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and the first chapter that he wrote to him he had heard that there was trouble that there was division they were dividing themselves because of you know I'm with Paul I'm with Cephas I'm with that we've got to watch out for those kind of things what Paul said to them is that we need to be united in love it's always back to love guys it truly is The ten tribes that are up there in the northern, they were already carried off by the Assyrian empire, and the Assyrian empire was in decline. Ultimately, Babylon destroyed the Assyrian nation. They took over. They were the great, mighty thing. Mighty uh, thing that God was going to use. They they destroyed Nineveh. Remember Jonah? Jonah was sent to Nineveh to preach because it was coming. It was coming. The prophet Habakkuk had lived in very violent and evil times. As I read this, I went, wow, this is the days that we live in, aren't they? They're evil. They're violent. He had a vision of the future of Judah being carried off by the Babylon, Babylonian Empire in 586. They were coming. He, far, he, far, he looked into the future. God gave him a vision, and he saw the doom that was coming to them made me think of John on the island of Patmos, John the Revelator, who was down there in 95 A.D. 62 years after Jesus left, and he gave him a vision of what's going to happen in our future, the book of Revelation. You want to scare somebody? Have them read that book. I got a few people saved having them read the book of Revelation. It's powerful. It really is. Doom's coming to this planet. It truly is. Habakkuk had two questions that he was asking God. He was kind of complaining. He kind of had a little bit of gripe going on. He was wondering what's going on. And one of the questions was, why is this world around him so evil and so violent? I ask that all the time to God. I really do. The second question was, why God was going to use this ungodly nation, this empire, Babylon, the Babylonian Empire to come in and to carry off Judah up into captivity, to punish them, to discipline them. You know, God does and he can use other nations to discipline his people. He did it all throughout the whole book of of the Bibles, from one book to the next book. He he constantly did that over and over and over again. Why was God going to discipline his people? You know why? Because he loves them. He loves them. I got two grandkids now. And grandpa's got to discipline them from time to time. And I hate it. I did that with my kids. But it's important to do that. And we've got to understand when God disciplines us, and even when I would discipline my kids when I was a father, I told them how much I loved them. And, and that's why that I did, that's why I did that. Hebrews says this in, in chapter 12, verse 8. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children. If God doesn't spank you from time to time. You might not be really a Christian. And then in Hebrews 12, 11, it says, No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. It hurts. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. Fruit. I used that verse when we talk through John chapter 15. There'll be fruit, good fruit, for those who are trained in this way. Israel is God's chosen people. To this very day, there is a blessing on the people of God, on Israel. What did God say in the scriptures? He says, you bless them, you will be blessed. America, do you know that America was the first nation that stood behind them when they became a nation in 1948, the first nation? I watched a movie a while back about that. It was interesting. We were the only country in the world that had enough guts to stand behind Israel. Why do you think there's such blessing on us? Because we bless them. They are his people. He loves them, and that's why he disciplines them too. You know, Israel had a life cycle of sin. I'm going to hopefully you got it up there. And we have the same thing. We really do. This happened to Israel over and over and over again in their lives, constantly. They were with God. Israel serves God. great relationship with him. All of a sudden Israel falls into sin or idolatry. Idolatry just means putting something else in place for, of God. It can be a bunch of things. It can be money. It can be your cars. It can be a boyfriend, girlfriend. It could be a wife. It could be kids. It could be anything. And as they did that, all of a sudden, they were enslaved to this. It grabbed a hold of them. It took them away from God. It took them away from God, and they began to neglect God. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they go, Lord, you're not around anymore. Where's the blessing in my life? I don't see your hand in my life. Then they cry out to God, and then God comes, and he delivers them and brings them back again. It happens to you and I. It truly does. I was thinking, well, God sometimes uses discipline in our life to bring us back to him when we have neglected him, and our relationship with him has kind of drifted away. He can use circumstances. Also, maybe you lose your job. Boy, you're on your knees crying out to God, especially if you got a mortgage or you got a car payment. God, you got to help me. Well, God does that. He really does. Discipline is used to bring Christians back to the right path. And that right path, it's God's path. Let's all stand up as we honor God's word tonight. And if you got your Bible, I've got the last 4 verses, but we're going to start off looking at the first 4 verses that are in the scriptures. And it says this, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Sounds like today, doesn't it? The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word for the bread of life. Open our hearts tonight, Lord. Help me speak your words. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you are the one who teaches us. I pray that you do your work tonight in my brothers and sisters' hearts. Speak to them words that I don't even say tonight, Lord. Change our life. Help us not to neglect you, but draw close to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all sit down? Well, why does God allow evil and violence? Habakkuk was looking at that. He was questioning that. It was everywhere. Listen, this world that I live in today is not the same world I grew up in the 50s. Yeah, I grew up in the 50s. That was a little while ago. It really isn't. It's frightening what this world is like. But why does God allow that? You know why God allows that? Because he gave man free will. He gave you the free will to do what you want to do. He gave me the free will to do what I want to do. He gave gave us all a free will to do that. God could have created us and, and made us robots. He didn't. Listen, the angels in heaven have free will. That's why a third of them took off and went with Satan, didn't they? Rebelled against God. It's unfortunate, you know, that man chooses not to follow God God will never force a man to follow him. You say, well, hang on a second. One day it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Lord. Yes, at the very end in the great white throne judgment. But everybody has a choice to make. God hates evil. He hates evil more than you hate it. And some of us probably don't hate it enough. I, I, I looked up, I said, gosh, I wonder how many times in the Bible it talks about evil. The King James Version 592 and the New American Standard, 473 times. And there are so many verses in the Bible where it says God turns his face from the evil. He can't stand it. He is so pure and so holy. I don't think we can understand that. God hates it. He hates it more than us. And Satan, the devil, the prince and power of the air, he's pure evil. Pure evil. He fans the fire of evil. He's doing that in our world today. There's a question for you Is man good or is he evil? Well, both exist in man good and evil. Man can do some of the greatest things in the world, and some of the, they can be so good at times, but they can be so evil. Turn on the news almost every night, every week. What do we see? So much violence, so much evil. And Satan just fans those fires. That's what he does. He fans the fires of evil. Man's imprisoned in the cell of corruption. He has a free will, but he's in this this cell of corruption, just like a person that goes to prison. They still have some free will, don't they? But they're caught up in a cell of corruption. Mankind is the same way. That's why there is so much evil that is out there. And the prophet goes to God with his complaints and with his gripes. He goes and he, and he asks God a question. I, I love what Pastor Jeff said. You know, I prepared this about three weeks ago, maybe even more than that. Jeff talked about asking God things. There's nothing wrong asking God questions. You can always ask the why question. You truly can. My little grandkids are now starting to ask me why. Why, Papa? Why this? Why that? Sometimes I go, I don't know. I don't. The Bible sometimes gives us answers. Sometimes God, when you ask Him why, He'll show that to you. That's what was bugging Habakkuk, this, this good leader. He was asking good questions of God, hard questions of God. And you know what God did? He answered them. He answered them just like Job was answered, just like some of the other people in the Bible. They come. I've asked God so many questions sometimes, and sometimes. He gives me an answer. Sometimes it's not the answer I want to hear. But we ask those things. Ask them, guys. Those things that are bothering you in your heart, ask them. Lord, why is this happening in my life? That's basically what Habakkuk was doing. And you know what what God really said to him? And this is what we need to take away from this. That what's going to happen to Judah, it's all a part of my perfect will my perfect will. Whether they understand it or they don't understand it. Whether we understand it or we don't understand it. We're going to talk towards the end we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God. Listen, God always does the right thing. I know that's hard to accept, but it's the truth. Always does the right thing. We, we can't serve a God who doesn't do the right thing all the time. He does. I don't understand everything that he does. But I have to believe that he does the right thing all the time because he is a good God. Trust is needed to believe that truth. And I think the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you can grab a hold of that and believe that in your heart. You know, we all kind of know that that one verse, right? Romans 8, 28. I think we've got it up here. You know, it's all things work together for the good. That's what it's talking about there. You know, the book of Habakkuk. You know why it was written? Just like Job, showing that God's in control. God is in control of this world right now. Sometimes people don't believe that because there's so much evil out there and it looks like evil's winning. And doesn't it? I mean, it looks like goodness is gone. But God's still in control. God never goes to sleep. Nothing goes, you know, on that he does not know. Even the most minute thing God knows. Despite that evil is looking like it's winning. And listen, guys, don't ever think God's behind those things, those evil things. Satan's behind those Satan's behind those. You have your friends, and a lot of times people will say, well, God allows that to happen. God does that. You can say, yeah, he does, but he's not doing it. Satan loves to divide and conquer like we were talking about. Satan loves to just have this world be in complete chaos, and he's doing a good job. He's doing a good job. But the Bible shows us that God is sovereign, and that should give us hope. In other words, what that means is that in everything that happens in your life, in my life, in Israel's life, in the United States, in your neighborhood, ever, there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to everything that goes on, guys. A purpose. Do I know all of that purpose? No, I don't. And you've heard me say this, and I've been saying it over and over again because I think I need to say it. God's always working behind the scenes. I don't care what you're going through. God's always working behind the scenes. And you want to know something? The older you get, the more you can look back through the years and years of serving Jesus, and you see his hand so clearly through so many things. How many of you guys can say, yeah, I've seen God's hand move in my life? Of course you have. He's still moving. He'll continue to keep moving. Whatever you might face in your life, God's still working behind the scenes. That's that sovereign God that loves us. Habakkuk was frustrated with the social injustice that was going on in in his world of that time. Man, that sounds like us. I hate injustice. Man, I hate it. I can't stand it. It bothers me so much when I see people, and this is what usually happens, is is people that don't deserve bad things get all this stuff happening to them. I used to tell my kids all of the time, life's not fair. They hated me saying that. I know, Dad, you're going to say it again. Life is not fair. It isn't. They were playing soccer and baseball and all that kind of stuff, and life's not fair. You know, the coach kid gets to play, you don't get to play. You know what I'm talking about. It's not fair. And, and, and I'm telling you something. We, we have to come to a point in our life where we accept that, that life just isn't fair. We aren't, we aren't going to see that justice, guys, in our life. We aren't going to see it. But one day, church, righteousness and justice will prevail. It will prevail. It's gonna be at the end, but it will prevail. This world is full of so many trials and so many tribulations. Peter wrote that to the church there in chapter 4, verse 12. I don't have it up there, but he said, look at guys, don't get surprised when you have all of these troubles in your life. Judah was gonna have trouble real soon. And he says, You've got to accept it. That that's what Peter was saying to the to, to, to them, that you've got to accept that. I think so many times as Christians. And I remember when I was a brand-new Christian, you know, we're in the Jesus movement. We were almost preaching like you're never going to have any troubles in your life. We were stupid. You know, we were kind of, our, our, <laughs> we were up there in the heavens and stuff. He did change our lives. He changed my life. What, it, what I should have been saying is, look at you go through the things in your life you're going through, Jesus will always be there. Always be there for you. And he is. He's always there for us. Well, verse 16 of chapter 3. Let's get to where we're getting to tonight. I wanted to say all of that because we're going to kind of tie in. This is what he says, the last four verses. So he starts off crying out to God, right, about all of this stuff going on. And now he says this, verse 16. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me. And I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when the disaster will strike the people who invade us. He heard about the disaster that was coming. God gave him that vision. And he had a very human reaction. Just like you and I. You know? I don't think any of us really take bad news really good. Did you ever people come up to you sometimes? Because you want the good news, you want the bad news. How many of you want the bad news first? How many want the good news first? (laughs) Jeff. Jeff wants the good news. Yeah. I think we're all usually the other way. Just give me the bad news. Let's just get it over with. And I think that's kind of what we do. But, uh, gosh, where am I at here? He has such a, a human reaction to that. They were going to be carried off into captivity. Their life, Judah's life, that whole nation's life was going to change when they were carried off into captivity. It was going to be completely changed. It'd be like losing everything you have. That's a change. And he didn't like that. It bothered him. It truly, truly did. In verse 2 of this chapter, chapter 3, it said he heard about, he used that same thing, I heard. Well, what did he hear? He, He heard that of the Lord's amazing works. And he was filled with awe. You know, Jeff was talking about miracles. I mean, how God kind of ties, I think Jeff and I were talking, I said, you know, it's amazing how God ties in messages from time to time. Remember, he was talking about the miracles and he got in trouble for not mentioning more miracles than other people's lives. Listen, we all got them. We all have amazing things that God's done in our life. How many of you got amazing things in your life that God has done? Of course, every one of you could put your hand up. The greatest thing is your salvation. That's the greatest miracle that we have. Amen? Amen. And Habakkuk describes this reaction when this bad news hit him. It'd be like, it would be like all of a sudden when somebody says, hey, you got cancer. Now, I went and saw my dermatologist today, and, uh, you know, you guys know this maybe about a year or two years ago. I had melanoma on my back. And thank God, you know, my wife had told me, I've been out in the sun my whole life, my wife told me, start getting to the doctor and stuff, I started going, and, and he would check it, and every so often he'd do biopsies, and he saw this one thing on my back, and he said, hey, we need to cut that out and check it out. He calls me back up, he goes, hey, look, man, you got melanoma. And I said, yeah. I mean, it didn't strike fear in me, but I know cancer can do that to people. It can strike such fear in a person's heart. I mean the good thing they cut it out and it's fine and everything's good so yeah my kids and my wife get to have me for a few years longer but you notice how he described it he said he trembled inside his lips quivered with fear his legs gave way his whole body shook in terror fear we talked that song that you led tonight Odell fear talked about fear that one of that one song Fear is a very powerful and a real emotion that can totally paralyze you, can it? It can totally, completely paralyze you. How many of you guys, be honest, how many of you guys were kind of scared when we had that earthquake a while back ago when you were at home? Anybody? Yeah, a couple hands going up and stuff. If it happened here, everyone would be scared. I can guarantee that. I was up in Mammoth in May of 1980. I had to check the date I was skiing with the, my crazy pastor friend that I told you was the very impulsive crazy guy that tore out the pulpit and all this kind of stuff at the church we were helping start him and I were up there skiing and it was great 1980 May must have been a really good year that year and we got done skiing that, that, that day went into the stove which was a great little restaurant had the greatest barbecue beef sandwich man I wish I had one now uh, but we were in there, and, I, and I'm not kidding. It was really good, Jeff. I'm telling you, man. It was the best. I still remember it. I better quit getting that way. Okay, so we were in there. Back to the story. We were in there, and I am telling you, all of a sudden, the 6.5 earthquake hit Mammoth. And I mean, it was in the town that I was in. And I mean, it rocked and rolled, and it was shaking and moving, and it just kept going and kept going. And you know, I grew up in Southern, I'm a native Southern California. Man, I've gone through all these earthquakes, you know, so it doesn't really bug me. But I remember looking on the faces of the people in their fear, especially on the women. I mean, their look was like right to their husband, like, we're leaving and we're gonna leave now. You know what happened? The whole town left almost. Great skiing the next day. There was nobody on the mountain. <laughs> Seriously, it was great. But fear is something else. Remember we talked a while back ago when I was talking about Peter. The disciples were what? They were in the boat of fear. It gripped their hearts. Gripped their hearts. That's what happened to Habakkuk when he saw the future of Judah. It just shook him, and fear just grabbed a hold of him. What what did the disciples do? They called on the name of Jesus, and they broke the grip of fear. Jesus replaces fear, guys, in, in our life. If you don't know that by now, that's who replaces it. It's Jesus. It's calling on his name. Habakkuk called out to the Lord. He knew trouble was coming. And God was warning him that it was coming. I learned this a long time ago. God always warns before he brings discipline or he brings some kind of punishment. That's what what the book of Revelation is about. It's a warning to mankind that trouble's coming. It truly is. How far off was it? He didn't tell him. He said, it's going to happen, though. It's going to happen in your time, Habakkuk, and it did. Probably about 25 years later from when he first got this word. How far off is the tribulation that the Bible talks about, the great tribulation? How far off is the return of Christ? How far off is, is that? I don't know. But God's warned people that it's coming, and it is coming. I've been waiting a long time. I hope it comes here soon. And I I love kind of what Habakkuk said here. He said, I will wait quietly until that happens. And and I don't think that meant that he like just kind of twiddled his thumbs back and forth. In the Hebrew, it means that that basically what it says, I'm gonna let it fall. In other words, I'm gonna let God bring his will. And I know it isn't a good thing, it doesn't look good but it will bring about some good things in their life. You know, what do we do when we wait for Jesus' return? Well, you know what we do? Fulfill the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples, guys. Next thing you need to do, pray. I've been praying more and more and more for revival. Keep praying for revival. We need that. And we need to serve the Lord. We need to be, as Pastor Jeff said, again, tied in. I'd already wrote this in in my stuff. Be ministers for God. Every one of you is a minister of God. You can go in the name of Jesus. He's given you authority, power to heal the sick, to do everything that He did. You're all ministers. If you don't believe it right now, I'm telling you, you're a minister of God. Look to somebody else and say, I'm a minister of God. Say it. All right. I hope you believe it. 17 and 19. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty, And barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, verse 18, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. Habakkuk describes the future, what it might look like. I don't know if God gave him that vision, but he describes it pretty worst case scenario that could happen it didn't look good fig trees have no blossoms, there's no harvest anymore, there's no grapes on the vine the olive crops will fail the fields lie empty, the flocks die in the fields, there's no cattle in the barns there's nothing, they're going to be stripped clean of everything that they have everything you know the future a good future is never sure they're already putting out the big R word. What's the big R word? Recession. They're already saying it. You're hearing it on the news all over again. You know what happens? When they speak that, and you guys remember the last one, right? When they speak it, it comes. It truly does. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know if there's going to be high prices, inflation, whatever. It is. We're, you know, we're having a trade war with China. I can't tell you if that's right or wrong. I'm too stupid to know that stuff. <laughs> All I know, it's changing the world economy at this moment. It truly is. And again, Romans 8, 28, and this time we're going to read it. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We never know what good comes out of the bad things in our life until we're down the road and maybe years down the road that we see that Judah was going to come back to God that's what was going to happen with them you just don't know it Jeff Barnett Odell was sharing, me, sharing with me about his brother that lived up in paradise lost everything right Jeff everything, house burned out everything burned out just devastated and he started sharing with me the good that came out of that his brothers in better shape now aren't, isn't he, than what he was before? How can that happen? I don't know. Romans 8.28 says it can happen. Isn't that great? So we don't know what can come out of the bad and the things that happen in our life. As Habakkuk said that he said, and you notice in verse 18, he says, Yet. And what he meant of that is in spite of or or even though the future looks bad he says I'm going to do two things I will rejoice and I will be joyful. What Habakkuk was doing there is he was changing his focus from the bad things that were out there in the future and he was focusing on God. That's why he could say I will rejoice. And see, that's what we have to do sometimes. We have to have a focus change in our mind. That's what what he was trying to do there. He was changing his focus off those bad things to the sovereign Lord, the one who is in complete control, the God of his salvation. You know what that means? The God of deliverance, safety, one who defends and brings victory. That's what we do when we are in bad times. And you're saying, man, that's so hard to do. I know it is. It's not a natural thing for us to do. It's not easy to do that. Paul wrote to the Philippian church in, in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, again, I say, rejoice. Th- then he wrote in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, he just uses those words, rejoice. You know where he was when he wrote that in Philippians? In jail. You know what what the book of Acts says in Acts chapter 16? 12 o'clock at night, Paul and Silas had been beaten, probably to a pulp, and all of a sudden, they just began to rejoice in God, and they began to sing praises to God. They were changing their focus. And, And see, that's what this does. It helps us to change our focus. You know, I read something that I'm deviating from what it is. But but Jesus kind of gave us these words one time. He says, pray for your enemies. Usually we hate our enemies. And I'm going to tell you something. When you pray for your enemies, your heart begins to change towards that individual person. See, that's a change of focus. How can you hate them if you're praying that God open their hearts, help them to see you through all of that? Remember my evil... You know, neighbor, I won't mention his name. I I did that. I prayed for the guy. I wish he got saved. I was thinking, I had this vision, he'll come over and I'll lead him to Jesus. Never happened. But I was still trying. And then he says these most powerful words here, right? That the sovereign Lord is his strength. Remember, I read those first verses, and we're getting close to closing here. In verse 2, and I think maybe we have it up there, of Habakkuk, says, How long, this is how he started out, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? He was saying, Lord, it doesn't seem like you're listening. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you won't come to save. You know what happens on these last verses here? Habakkuk finally realizes something. God's in control. God's in complete control through all of this. And the Lord, he's the sovereign Lord. He's my strength. Remember, I've mentioned sovereignty a lot of times. That means God being in complete control of everything. Everything in your life, everything in my life. Everything. You mean the good stuff, the bad stuff, all of it. All of it. He realizes those are amazing words of faith. That God is his strength. And he says, he makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. You know what that means? The mountains of life. You can go up those mountains of life. You can traverse the troubled trails along the road of life. He was saying, God gives me the ability to get from one side of this mountain to the other side of the mountain, to not slip on those slippery slopes. You ever seen deer jump around? Man, it's unbelievable how sure-footed they are. And this is the table talk, and it'll go really quick, and then we'll wrap it up. Before you were a Christian, okay, your BC days, I call them, who or what did you turn to when you faced troubled or hard times? Okay, just share with somebody. Share with the people at your table. Who or what did you turn to? What, In other words, what was your strength? What was your default? What did you default till, to? All right, good. Anybody shout out some of the things that you turn to? Video games. Video games. What else? Anybody? What? Sports? What else? What? What? Oh, self. Alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of things. It can be your Intellect. Right There can be a person, maybe mom, dad, kids, mom, dad, you hit them up when you need strength, like money. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> but there's a lot of things. It can be our wealth, it can be our resources, it can be our abilities. It can be so many different things. And what Habakkuk was saying here is it needs to be God. It needs to be for us, it's Jesus. Jesus is our strength. That's the whole message here. We, we, we need to be reminded. This old guy needs to be reminded from time to time that he's my strength, that he's my sovereign Lord. I go through stuff, guys. Don't think I don't go through it. We all go through it. I've gone through some tough things in you know, the last few years, and, and it's amazing what God has done, amazing things. What does he do? He does things. That, are, that we can't even imagine sometimes, right? And he does. My wife's going through a thing, time's coming to an end, but just kind of, just where her future is headed and stuff, and she was just sharing with me some things that's going on with her work and stuff, and I went, wow, God's doing more than what we ask for or what we even imagine he can do. That's a great thing. He's our sovereign Lord, amen? He's our strength. Let's pray. I thank you, God, that... Uh, That you are our strength, Lord. And that we could always, always turn to you, Lord. In the darkness of night, maybe we're woke up with some fear of something in our life. Maybe we're in some boat that we need to get out of. As we call upon you, Lord, that you're always there. Help us to be reminded of that, Lord. You are our strength. You are sovereign, Lord. This world is so evil it truly is our hearts cry out god bring such revival truly bring revival lord open people's hearts to you lord god maybe use the evil and the hate and just the anger and the violence and all that to, to have people begin to wonder what's the answer it's you lord we won't have peace on this earth until you the prince of peace comes back to this earth thank you so much for your word lord i bless my brothers and sisters may they go out in your strength lord and may they proclaim the good news of jesus christ it's your name we pray and they all said amen god bless you guys and let's give them heaven